Welcome to Politics Done Right. We have a great show for you today. We are we start the show with Chuck Cruz, who is running for. Uh, he's a chemical engineer, book lover, marathon runner, running for to unseat a person in his district. Um, check out the interview. It's 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 going to be great. He's running for District One Twenty Eight for the Texas Legislature, and secondly, we're going to have. Bridge MCP, one of the members and leaders of the PDR Posse, she is going to enlighten us, school us about what really, really occurs or occurred in Northern Ireland, the misrepresentation that some articles make about it. So let's get busy. Let's get busy. Today, I'm honored to have Charles Cruz, who is doing something special. He's running for Congress. 128. Talk to me about uh, who you are, Chuck. Welcome to Politics and Right. So uh, just to make sure, I'm running for the Texas House of Representatives, House District number 128, which covers uh, Baytown, Deer Park, LaPorte, uh, Crosby Highlands, basically the eastern portion of Harris County. Uh, I am a chemical engineer. I got my degree from Texas A&M in 2005. I spent almost a decade with bare material science before it became Covestro and then went to the insurance industry, traveling all over America to evaluate petrochemical facilities for safety and reliability because we did not want to pay a check when they had a fire explosion. So making sure that we custom tailor the insurance risk and understand what each individual uh, client had. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive help supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. That was my job for years, so making sure that plants run better, cleaner, and safer has been my whole career, and now I'm trying to get to Austin where I can pass laws, hopefully, to make all the plants in Texas run better, cleaner, and safer, not just the ones that I happen to be visiting that day. Now, interesting, uh, before we get into the politics, et cetera, sure. I, w- I want folks to really understand uh, what you just said. You are being, you are representing an area that I that too often... Uh, the chemical companies, the oil companies, don't are are not as if not necessarily efficient. Don't do the right things by the people in the community. In other words, too often there are things let go in the air. Too often there are things let go in the ground, hits the groundwater, etc. In fact, if I recall correctly, many of those areas they are predominantly uh, they predominate many diseases that you don't have or that isn't prevalent elsewhere. Correct. There are a lot of the incidence rate for illnesses such as cancer, respiratory illnesses, all the different forms that that takes, asthma and so forth. uh, There are higher incidence rates here. And like you said, all of these companies are businesses. They are here for one thing and one thing only to make money. And I understand that. However, there is a way to make money and take care of your business responsibly and safely. And we, I want them to choose more on the side of safety and reliability than on the side of profit. Exxon, Chevron, uh, a lot of these big players are posting absolute record profits. So anytime somebody says, oh, we can't afford to implement XYZ project, it's, it's almost certainly BS. They're posting billions and billions and billions in profits. So there's plenty of money to be used sensibly to make sure that what they are processing stays in the pipes, doesn't get leaked, and that emissions are responsibly controlled. Um, it's just a fact of life living out here, unfortunately, that uh, you get to learn that one of the things that happens, I'm not going to say monthly, but several times a year, uh, you'll see a large plume of smoke from a fire, an explosion. You'll wonder, did somebody go to the hospital or did somebody go to the morgue? Because fatal accidents absolutely do happen in these industries. Uh, These are very high-risk jobs sometimes. And it doesn't have to be that way. So the push for safety 
has always been a struggle between profits and uh, trying to make sure that people return home at the end of the day safely and healthy. Uh, and we're always wanting to move the needle just a little bit more, uh, trying to move the ball forward and make sure that we are taking those next steps. Remember, there was a time when cars didn't have seatbelts. It was a time when cars didn't have airbags. And at every step of the way, there was somebody in industry who said, oh, we can't possibly afford that. We can't possibly uh, implement this. We can't let people know that it's dangerous to drive a car. Well, once they owned up that, yes, this is a risk, but we can manage that risk. We can mitigate that risk with science and engineering practices and better management practices. We absolutely can deliver safer, cleaner products. And then I want to be clear. These products are something that are vital to the life that we all enjoy. The shirt that I'm wearing has fibers that are made artif from artificial materials. The buttons are plastic. The computer that I'm talking to you on is made from plastics and petrochemicals. We need these things, but we need them to be made to the highest possible standards of safety, reliability, and making sure that these corporations are good neighbors for the surrounding communities and the people that work inside. So as a, one of the, you know, I've said this for a long time, especially representatives in certain areas, I think should be engineers or or at least science-based because again you can hold that discussion in front of your constituents where you can tell them when when, when they have the spinners coming in to, to convince them that this is unnecessary you can actually lay out not just facts because you know engineers love facts but most people necessarily don't but you can express it one thing the difference between engineers and scientists engineers can generally express something in a manner that the average citizen, the average constituent can understand. Now, tell me a little bit about the 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 uh, the political demographics of the area that you are attempting to represent. I'm going to say that there are at least two different opinions. Um, so there is the traditional opinion that this is a very red area, but this is like a lot of Texas, a low voter turnout area, and for reasons I can't really get into. The Democratic Party has not had an, a significant presence here in a very, very long time. So I live personally in what I call a triple red district. I have a congressperson, uh, Brian Babin, who is a Republican. I have a state senator, Brendan Crichton, who is a Republican. And the guy that I'm running against for State House 128, Briscoe Kane, is a Republican. All three of those are Republicans, very far right Republicans. Um, but there are a significant number of Democrats in this area. And in 2020 was the first time that a Democrat had run for House District 128 since I want to say it was 2004. So we're talking very, very close to 20 years when there was not even somebody on the ballot to vote for. And when voters in the area feel abandoned by their party, they lose interest. They essentially stop showing up. And so the problem exacerbates where folks don't turn out. And then so it is perceived that it is a redder area than it actually is. I believe that this is a very purple area. There's a great opportunity to uh, get folks motivated. I've been out knocking doors since February. And uh, I have had several folks tell me, I can't believe a candidate is knocking on my door, number one. And number two, I can't believe a Democratic candidate is knocking on my door. Um, and I've had, <laughs> honestly, I've had a couple of people get emotional because they felt as I once felt. So I moved to the Baytown area in 2006, and I similarly believe that this was just absolutely dyed-in-the-wool red area and that I was alone. I was the only one for 100 miles. Mm -hmm. Clearly not the case. There are absolutely people uh, that are on the Democratic side and tend to vote in that manner, but the Republican side has been loud and, uh, honestly, I'm going to say it, uh, aggressive. So there aren't folks running around with big jacked up trucks that have Biden flags. There aren't folks running around with uh, stickers all over their car talking about how much they love the Democratic Party. And I'm trying to change that. 
I know that the voters are out there. I know that they felt the way that I once felt. I must be the only one. I'm the lone person in this sea of red, and it's simply not the case. There are tens of thousands of voters out there, and I know this because in 2020, the candidate that run, I very much appreciate uh, Mary Williams for having run, but I don't believe that she campaigned very hard and still managed to get a very impressive turnout of around 22, 23,000 votes for not a lot of ground game. And so I know that with a stronger campaign, I can build on that. And while I recognize that I've got a very tall hill to climb, there's a significant point gap to to make up. I intend to narrow that gap even if I don't win. I want to cut the deficit in half, in a third, in a quarter, uh, and narrow that gap because even if we don't make it in 22, we absolutely can in 24. But we need to get out there. We need to get talking to folks and let them know, yes, Democrats are here. They could be four doors down, and you just didn't know because you've, like I once felt, felt very alone. Now, much of the media that the the people in your district, if if it's very red, likely listen to, generally makes a caricature out of Democrats, generally makes a caricature out of of progressives. And what happens then is that people internalize that and it becomes their reality and you have to break through that prism. My question to you then is, uh, how do you break through the prism uh, first of all, we know that some in the in, in Democratic Party and likely the Republican Party, they like to make things base elections. So in your case, since they have some number they've applied to your district, they figure base election, uh, absolutely impossible for you to get those numbers, which means what they're not doing, which is something that I generally disagree with wholeheartedly, uh, is talking to everybody. Many folks like to concentrate on We'll talk to those. We, we do the numbers and we see uh, you're a soft Democrat, a, a medium, and that's how they talk, right? I, I've never spoken that way. I've never campaigned that way. I've always campaigned. I talk to people. My question to you, are you, are you campaigning to people or are you campaigning to known demographics? So I started off, I'm going to be clear, I did start off with selecting known Democrats that I wanted to go out because I'm coming I'm not coming off of a school board or city council. I won't have a big name here. And my first hurdle to overcome was name recognition. I need folks to know who I am so that they can be talking to their friends and neighbors about, hey, we've got this guy that we can actually vote for. So uh, I'll be clear. I did start off with talking to the Democratic uh, folks that I had a, a good knowledge of. Now, I am getting closer to the election and I'm casting a wider net. Um, I'm starting to talk to folks where I have less certainty of their uh, stance. And the message is very clear. I know how to make plants run better, cleaner and safer. If you don't like clean air, if you don't like people coming home at the end of the day safe, what are you here for? I mean, we want to work together to make sure that the plants are running the best, cleanest, safest they can because we appreciate what they do. We want the products and the benefits and that we enjoy coming from those facilities. There is no desire to shut them all down or any of the kind of narratives that we hear all the time. The goal is to go out and talk to folks and say, look, I've been in your shoes. I've personally crawled through process equipment. I've been all up and down distillation columns crawling on the inside of them after a turnaround to make sure that they're clean before we bolt them all back together again and start back up again. I know what the work is like. I've been there and I know that there are opportunities to make those plants run better, cleaner and safer. That's neither a democratic message or a Republican message. It's a human message. Exactly right. And it seems to me that it is a message that uh, should be heard uh, and should be campaigned to, not just the uh, not just the people that you know are going to vote for you if they go out and vote, but for others who know that the person representing them today does not necessarily have those interests at hand because of the way uh, they've been meant to think. So I think I think it's both an education process as well as a, a familiarity process. People getting to know 
who uh, Chuck Cruz is, somebody that uh, don't look at me by labels. Look at me for uh, for what I actually stand for and what I intend to do for you. Now, give me a few uh, uh, what you want, uh, a few closing statements that you want uh, folks listening to this to hear. Number one, the guy that's in office right now is a lawyer. He is not an engineer. This area, House District 128, the major economic engine far and away is the petrochemical industry. We need a representative who actually represents us. If this district was the core and the heart of the legal industry, great. Maybe he'd be a better representative, but it's not. It's a petrochemical heavy industry, and we need a representative who knows the industry, knows what people are going through, knows what risks that they take, and wants to make it better, cleaner, and safer for everyone, not just the people inside the plants, but the people in the surrounding communities as well. How can people learn about you, Chuck? Uh, my website is a great spot, C-R-E-W-S-F-O-R-T-X.org, uh, Cruise for Texas. Um, that's a great spot. Um, I will be having a lot of signs coming up in the near future. I do have, oh, I just lost it. Sign <laughs> around here. Dang it. Oh, well. Um, but uh, my campaign signs are going to be cropping up all over the district very soon. Um, and I do have my social media outlets as well. So Twitter is where I'm most active. So I go Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, uh, and then I've now got a TikTok as well. And most of them are C-R-E-W-S-F-O-R-T-X, uh, to learn about me, check out where I stand on a lot of issues. Um, and if there are things that you don't see addressed that you want me to address, send me an email. It's at the bottom of my website and that's going to be campaign at Cruise4tx.org. Chuck Cruz, Democrat for Texas, House 128. Thank you so kindly for having been on Politics Done Right. It's an honor. Thank you very much, Egberto. Welcome to another edition of Politics Done Right. I'm Egberto Willis, your host. First of all, folks, you all know that our show is governed by whom? The people who own our show, our audience. And with us today, we are blessed to have who we call Bridge MCP. I call her Bridge MCP. I don't know if she wants to use her real name or not. She'll tell us that later on. But she is one of our leaders in the PDR Posse. She came across an article at, uh, written that was posted at the coffee party that she said needed some more context than that. She wrote out something and I said, you know what? We need you as somebody from Ireland to make the point. Welcome to Politics Done Right. Bridge MCP. How are you doing today? I'm good. I'm good. Okay. I always call you Bridge MCP. What should That's I my call? name. Huh? That is my name. Okay, good. Well, it's not my full last name, but my first name. Okay, well, good. Great. Great to have you here. Hey, Bridge, you saw, first of all, tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, well, I was born in Belfast. And I came here because my mother didn't want to go through the troubles. They were just really starting to get bad. And uh, her and my brother, me and my brother were born there. We came here. And then when I was about, I don't know, 16, 17, I started to go back home. My father was already very much involved before he left Ireland in the whole fight and freedom of Ireland. And so we were all involved in that. We grew up with it. And my entire family on my father and mother's side are there. So they were dealing with it. So anyway, my father was going back and forth. And I started going back and forth when I got older. I would go like twice a year. I almost moved there because I wanted to join, you know, to help the fight. But That's uh, the IRA, right? I didn't want to call it that. <laughs> well, let me tell you why, why I, I put it that way, uh, Bridge. Because the way I see it. We always hear the story, all these stories from sort of a black, white, good, bad point of view. And one of the reasons I wanted to uh, have you on is you're an Irish person. You grew up in Northern, or rather, you started off in Northern Ireland, Belfast, and there are issues there. And there's this phrase that always says, one man's uh, freedom fighter is another's terrorist. Yeah. I mean, um, what do we call uh, when America moved westward and did what it took to move right. westward? What do we talk about 
how the formation of Panama occurred when the United States put a battleship in, in the Gulf of Colón and said, hey, you guys are now an independent country. We want a canal. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there, there are a lot of these features. So what we try to do here, Vijan, what I was really excited to speak to you about, uh, about this article was that you said this article made a horrendously bad framing. It doesn't matter whether you think uh, the IRA was a terrorist organization or not. Mm-hmm. What's important is how they characterize the IRA and the Republican Party. So please elaborate on that, because I think you did a wonderful job. In in the article, it was only the first two paragraphs that that compared the GOP to Sinn Féin. Right. Explain who Sinn Féin is, actually. Well, Sinn Féin is pretty much the political arm of the IRA. The IRA became two fractions. I mean, they started in the 1900s. They didn't call them them that um, then. But there's two fractions. There was, um, they, they started to split as things got worse or better, depending. So when Ireland finally split and got its independence, the IRA was still around. But a part of it was becoming too violent. And another part of it didn't want to be. So you had the provincial IRA um, or Pyra, and then you had the official on the other side, and they, they actually had a nickname. I don't remember what it was. So the one was more political, and one was more violent. And then we had Sinn Féin, which became the political side of the IRA. And all of them altogether are all socialists, which our GRP are not. So right off the bat, I was, are you kidding me? And and they portrayed the IRA as the the muscle part of, of Sinn Féin. Now, I'm not disagreeing with that. I'm disagreeing with the way they said it. It is an Irish saying. It's not what you said. It's the dirty way you said it. So I was disagreeing with that, that they're not really the muscle man. And in comparison to the article, they were saying more or less the GOP is Sinn Féin and the Proud Boys and the Oath Keepers are the IRA. And I was like, are you out of your lunatic mind? These people have nothing to do with saving their country. They're actually destroying our country, but they have nothing to do with Sinn Féin or Ireland or the IRA or trying to save their country or trying to break out of British claws. If everybody remembers history, British owned everything. They colonized everywhere. And they did it to Scotland and Wales and, and Ireland. And um, people don't realize there's Great Britain and then there's the United Kingdom. Great Britain is just England. Right. United Kingdom is their conglomerate over there. And so the article bothered me in two ways. One, that the coffee party actually said they agree with it. What are your thoughts? And I was like, I'm not sure what they agreed with. Let, let, let me, let me say that as, as a member of the coffee party, I can say that, um, that it's not, we don't, they, the, the coffee party do not take the position on these articles officially. Because, I mean, just like uh, you objected to that uh, article that labels Sinn Féin, uh, many of my articles aren't appreciated necessarily by all those in the coffee party. So what I wanted to do in speaking to you as well is giving you that platform that could actually, you are, I mean, what I I love about this is that you are from, uh, from Ireland. You do have authority on the message as opposed to a third party revealing something from yet a third party officiated right. likely by a government. So mm-hmm. I take credence with what you have to say more so than I do somebody who's just regurgitating otherwise. Other somebody else. Well, you know, the thing about it is, I think I sent you a link to the man that wrote the article, Professor yes. Georgetown. And um, so I actually clicked on him and then I read the comments that people were writing about the article. I don't know if you read them. But in there, they were putting down the coffee party. They were shocked like I was. And also putting down the actual title, Sinn Féin, like the GOP. They were like, everybody was going out of their minds for for that. They were like, how could you do this? So the the reason why I bring up the coffee party is because they had to have read it. They they, They said, we agree with this. What are your thoughts? And don't know what they agreed with, whether it was the rest of the article or the comparison to Sinn Féin. But that's what got me with them. Right. I, that's the only thing. I, I love that organization. 
and I still go in articles and click and like, you know. It yeah, was I mean, that. Uh, you're, you're, you're level-headed. I think it's important for people to be able to say, well, if some people like this or whatever, you know, uh, you have the freedom and that's why why you're here right. to go ahead and refute what has to be said. And I looked at your article, like I called you this morning and said, I am completely your boss on your response to the article. And that's why I wanted to have you make it. You know, it was weird. And I'm, I'm not very good on remembering you know, dates and facts and people's names because there was so much going on. And I did not live there. I was going back twice a year for two or three weeks. But my father was involved, and so therefore we were involved, and and his whole family was involved. I mean, my cousin, right? In front, he had a, he had a rubber bullet shot at him. Now, if you know about rubber bullets, they're about six to eight inches long, maybe about two inches in diameter, and they're supposed to be shot at the ground and then bounce. Well, the British Army did all, all the RUC, the police, they shot them directly at you. Which could kill you. It went right through his, right, it blinded him right in his eye. And that was in a peaceful protest. Nobody was armed. Nobody had anything. So there's a lot of propaganda that goes on that I know that most people, especially nowadays, don't know what happened back then. They were getting fed propaganda on the BBC One or BBC Two. They only had two or three channels. And then America would pick it up and say, look what they did. Even the Irish Americans were against them because they were getting fed propaganda. So organizations, <clears throat> a few my father started, and like newspapers and certain organizations came about to not only educate the people, but to help the women and children whose husbands and sons were all just locked up with that, you know, internment with no release, no trial, no jury, nothing. They were just put in prison. For years, for life, there was no no trial, and hundreds died. And and you know, to compare that to the Proud Boys, when these people were fighting to free their country, albeit some of it was violent, and the rest of it wasn't. I mean, I, I want to. I want you know. I mean, there are so many times that I, that you uh, characterize. Uh, let's say the IRA, some of it was violent, some of it was not. These were people that actually wanted a free Ireland, an Ireland not a Northern Ireland and a Southern Ireland, right. but an Ireland, which, Ireland, which is the country. But Great Britain, as usual, had to have its footprint, footprints everywhere. Um, I mean, uh, when America wanted its liberation from the Great Britain, they did pretty much do the same thing. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So, I mean, so we, war we, is war. Right. We have to be cognizant about that and not just demonize folks for you terrorists, you good, you bad. Because well, that was the thing, you know, to label someone a terrorist when I think I had written that piece to you, like, yes, the British Army was very good. The Irish, the IRA would announce we're going to blow up a bus tomorrow at 12 o'clock on this bus route at this bus stop. So there'll be nobody there. Clear them out. We're letting you know. And they would do that on purpose because they they were all about destroying any any goods that would cost Britain money. Destroy a park, destroy a bus. That's what their whole goal thing was. And then the British Army would get the codes and detonate the bus while people were on it. But the IRA already said they were doing it. So they had to take the blame. They take the blame. And it happened dozens of times. And, you know, after a while, you know, you start getting angry. So that's what that and they are a well-formed citizens army. Now the Protestants had a well-formed citizens army, the UDF, but they were backed by the English. They were not. You could call them up in the telephone book. The IRA was secretive. You you couldn't call them up. You know they wore black masks. You didn't know who they were. You but couldn't. UDF, you shouldn't. Right. Right. The UDF they acted blatantly. Came right out with guns, M16, and the police didn't arrest them. They were all Protestants. So it wasn't technically an Irish, I mean, a, a religious war, but underneath it all, it kind of was. You know, so it's betwixt and between on that issue. The Catholics wanted to be Irish, and the Protestants wanted to belong to the king. So that was the religious part of it. 
But to have the British government come in finally, the army, to save the people, to stop the violence, and then join it. I mean, like the people were like, what? And then the IRA came full-fledged. I guess that was in 69 or 70. Right. They became full-fledged. Now, you have to look at the context of every story, and that's the reason why I think uh, we need to make sure and have open discussion about how things really are. Uh, You know, uh, many Catholics in Northern Ireland see things very differently than Protestants who want to be part of the kingdom. And not only that, they got a benefit from being uh, part of the kingdom. What many Americans don't understand is something that even occurred here in the United States and elsewhere is that many of the farmlands, et cetera, in, in Northern Ireland were actually owned by English, protected by English folks who never stepped foot in Ireland as the people starved. So well, they also my, had an economic component. I mean, the famine, I think it was- The 40s potato famine, yes. I couldn't, I couldn't find a link to it, but about 20 or 30 years ago, you, the humane, humane rights against whatever that organization is called, they had, they, they fined England, the, the, the humanity, what they did to the people in, in Ireland during the famine. It was like they had to pay like $20 billion. Right. Something like that. And I, I couldn't find a link because it was so old. It was probably before computers. But um, they had to pay a link for that. And there was no reason. I mean, that's like saying America lost corn. And thousands and millions, millions died because we had no corn. It's ludicrous. And so was the famine. They, yes, they're big on potatoes, but it was meat in warehouses. It was actually during that time, the biggest export of beef from Ireland. Why didn't you give it to the people? No. It's like in that movie, like, well, we can't um, get them out. We'll breed them out. So they starved us out. So many left and came to America and stuff, but millions and millions died. And, you know, when you go with that background like that, and if you look at Ireland aerial, you'll see everything has little um, walls, rock walls. Right. Because only if you had land could you vote. So they would break it up and give a wee piece to their son. So maybe he could have a wee vote. And that's why it's all parceled up so much because of what happens. But, you know, then you add in all the other atrocities. You can't speak your own language. You can't, you can't speak uh, Gaelic instead you oh, you know, speak English in the Northern I, Ireland, yes. You had to secretly be taught it. And my uncle did. Well, a lot of people did. But you had to secretly learn your own language. But to their detriment, since they didn't know it, and we did, now they couldn't figure out what the hell we were talking about. <laughs> so and that kind of saved my father because he was on the run for two years. I won't go too much into that, but he was on the run for two years. And he would call and speak in like a code Gaelic. And we could understand him, but the FBI were going nuts. What the hell are you talking about? Because it wasn't just Gaelic, it was code. Right. But, um, I mean, it, it was just, I don't know. So that article prompted a lot of, you know, a lot of a lot. emotions. You know, yeah. a, a lot of emotions. And um, that's why I wrote to you and told you that, you know, you're part of them. Like, I think they screwed up. Yeah, well, look, I'm glad that we we had you here to uh, to give your your perspective on the article and where the article went wrong. Like I said, unlike the author, you lived it. So, Bridge MCP, uh, last words. Last words. Well, thank you for letting me express this because it really bothered me, and and i'm I'm glad that you know reading the other people's comments, whether it was on Facebook or on the, the man's actual article, many agreed with me and um so it, it brought about a lot and but also, I want to tell you thank you. I love your show. you got it right there <laughs> <laughs> Wow, thank you and, very um, much yes. bring that down please. Yeah, sure. and yeah. and then I love your show. Your show was great. You're very fair. You're very honest. And you stand up when you say you make a mistake. You call people out on theirs. And we have a really good group on the PDR Posse. You have a great group, right or left, doesn't matter. Well, look, Bridge MCP, thank you so kindly for being a part of the PDR Posse. Thank you so kindly for helping us out at Politics Done Right. And, and rest assured that 
you always have a voice and all of us, when it comes to politics done right, have a voice. Thank you so kindly for being on politics. You're welcome, Roberto. Take care. Politics done right depends on you to keep doing what we do. What do we do? We make sure to keep, number one, the internet seeded with blogs and information to counter the right and to present what progressives represent for the benefit of us all to everybody so that it's not misread, misled by any other entity. We make sure and populate that internet with blogs, with videos, with all these other things to make sure that we are informed and to counter everything that you normally hear that, that are lying at the right. We also make sure to create articles in, in magazines, articles in newspapers all around the country to ensure, again, that our message gets out there. Last but not least, we also write books. As you see it, Class Warfare, the only re resort to right-wing doom, How to Make America Utopia, are two of the many books that I've written on these issues. So please support us in one of many ways. Numero uno, you can support us at PayPal, either one time or monthly. Go to politicsdoneright.com slash PayPal. You can support us on Patreon. That is politicsdoneright.com slash Patreon. Patreon is spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N. You can support us by becoming a part of our YouTube channel, going to politicsdoneright.com slash YouTube, or you can support us in many other forms that you can find at politicsdoneright.com slash support. Be sure to visit our store, politicsdoneright.com slash store, and get our books at politicsdoneright.com slash books. Historian John Meachin did a piece today, I think, that I, I don't know how many people really looked at it for what he actually said, but it all has to do with make America great, make America great for whom and who is it that has the ability to do as evil of things as they want to do, to do as wrong, as criminal as they want to do, and still is taken serious. As a human being, I want you to listen to Meacham and then we'll take it on the other side, because what he has to say here is prescient. But, John, a growing number of Americans don't want it to work. You recently posted something about the word unprecedented. And I hate that word. I used to yeah. ban it on the show. If people use it, I'd make them pay me two dollars yeah. because for four years <laughs> we gasp on TV and say it's unprecedented. But yeah. the thing is. People want to break those norms. The former president laughed at it. He loved it. And, and so this idea that what's happening is unprecedented. People don't care. They actually like it. They may like it, but what they, but the precedence we have to pay attention to is a rule of law, a love of neighbor, and a mutual respect. Otherwise, it's not going to matter because then we're going to descend into a state of total warfare all the time. I'm not arguing for some sentimental past. I don't think there's, you know, when people talk about restoring certain things, hell, it wasn't all that great then, right? I mean, you know, I'm, I'm a boringly heterosexual white Southern male Episcopalian. You know, things work out for me in this country. Uh, but if you, but for a lot of people, it doesn't. The story of the country is a journey toward a more perfect union, not a perfect one. And so what we have to remind ourselves, and this is hugely important, and it makes what you do so important, and is in the lived experience of a lot of people, the America doesn't really work. Right. It starts mm -hmm. with September 11th. Uh, there's the bad intelligence uh, with Iraq. There's the financial crisis. Uh, there's uh, covid. There's uh, Donald Trump is this huge force. You know, I teach students at Vanderbilt who were born after the attacks of September 11th. So their political imagine where your political consciousness was shaped and okay, where their John. political consciousness was shaped is Donald Trump. <laughs> And so, therefore, let me just say this, it, it puts it a huge weight, a huge burden, I think, to tell a story that the rule of law, that having a constitution that can be perfected is central. Otherwise, and maybe, maybe you disagree, but here's the question. What comes next? If you tear this up, what comes next? 
And if you can't answer well, that. I'm reminded of Steve Bannon, who wanted to tear the system down. And in terms of a perfect union, you've got all sorts of Americans that do not want us to be a union. And I leave you with the reminder that the whole premise of make America great again, while there's millions of Americans who want to do that for millions of others of Americans, it wasn't great. It wasn't great before 2022 or 2021 for lots of us. Now, what John, what John Meachin said in this piece is prescient. You know, as you all know, uh, those of you who uh, watch me daily, you know, I just got back from a a conference, uh, the social, uh, we called it the, uh, or I think it was called the social convergence uh, panel. We're, We're all of us from all different angles from all different strives of life come together and we talk and we discuss how we need to change the, the system so that everybody equitably gets, uh, gets a part of the pie, if you will. But it's not only that, but how we have a true, create a true democracy. And what we had and we noticed, or I noticed, was that the people on the mostly conservative side they all wanted to continuously use uh, the phrase, what were the founding fathers thinking? And it always brought me back to make America great again. All these sort of cues that those who were always of the preferenced class would use. And, and, and I mean, so do, during, during the conference, as I'm listening to everybody talk, and I mean, we had a group of smart people, smart conservatives, smart liberals, smart progressives, smart anarchists. We had smart people there speaking, right? But then I finally had to say, you know, because uh, it it was getting to me when, you know, we we pointed out that there were about 30% of America that would not even entertain coming and talking in this group, even though we, yes, we had conservatives, et cetera. And then I said, you know, you know, um, first of all, I do engage everybody, even those that wouldn't have gone there. I would have gone to them. Right. I will engage them. But one of the parts that I really refuse myself internally to do is to go under the assumption that everything we built has to ask the question, what were the founders thinking? Because as far as I'm concerned, the founders weren't thinking about women. The founders weren't thinking about people who didn't own land. The founders weren't thinking about the natives, the originators of this, this, this place. The founders weren't thinking about me. Hell, I was actually singled out as three-fifths of a person. I know some are going to back up and say, oh, it was a compromise. It's not that they're calling you three. It was a compromise. Yes, it was a compromise that compromised me to three-fifths of a person. So when we are asked to build a true democracy, and then we are, we are saying, let's do it in the context of what were the founders thinking, I finally looked at them and I said, I don't give a damn what the founders were thinking. I care about humanity. I care about what all of us are thinking about to make a better union. So what I found in the honesty of John Meacham is realizing that we've always had a one-sided system and a very small side in this country. And as much as people could prosper, the exceptions could prosper or you could get by, you were never to attain the, that bastion of power, if, even if you had the wherewithal to work for it. And in listening to John again, it was great to see a thinker, a thinker that didn't let himself be fooled by who he was or fooled by the myth that we want to have MAGA, make America great again. Because as he said, for some America was never great, and they're trying to make it great. Progressives and Democrats always, always have better policies for middle-class America and the poor. Always. And the reason why, it's a philosophical difference as far as how one improves themselves, etc. One is based on 
if you're lucky, all is fine. Or if others deemed you okay, qualified, it's fine for you to make. It's fine for you to ascend. But most or several of centrist Democrats going on television, they are a poor excuse for making the case for a self-sufficient middle class and poor person getting ahead. Better policies, but I mean the Republicans run, run rings around them in lying, in misinforming, in misconstruing. I want you to see this interview, or it's actually an interview on CNN. Both Blumenthal and Lindsey Graham are there. And Lindsey Graham is so much, is so well prepared for a Democrat who has no way of explaining himself in a manner that punches back, in a manner that everyone sees the truth. Check this out, and then we'll take it on the other side. This is simply upsetting, at the same time, fascinating. Check this out. Three independent economic analyses, including the Congressional Budget Office, all say the Inflation Reduction Act will actually have little to no impact on inflation. How is this bill actually going to help Americans who are having trouble paying for their groceries, for their housing, for their gas? Great question. And thanks for having us in this bipartisan way. I think Americans are going to see the cost of their prescription drugs cut because of Medicare negotiations. They're going to see energy costs cut because they're going to be receiving credits and rebates for energy saving and cost cutting measures. And they're going to see greater tax fairness because corporations that are currently paying nothing will have to pay at least 15 percent. We're talking corporations with assets of more than a billion dollars or earnings of excess in that amount. So we're going to see costs of gasoline continue to drop, costs of necessities to decline, and I think Americans will see historic results. Well, this is not the bipartisan part of the interview. (laughs) (laughs) So the American Rescue Plan, remember that one? That was supposed to make us make everything better. Well, it became a recession plan. This is going to make everything worse. I voted for a bipartisan uh, infrastructure bill. I voted for gun legislation. I'm not going to vote for this. Uh, the minimum tax of 15% destroys expensing. Now, what does that mean? If a company buys a piece of equipment, they could expense it under the 2017 tax cut in the same year they bought it. That goes away. So CBO says it disincentivizes companies for building factories, buying equipment, which would help us get out of recession. There's a 16.4% tax on imported barrels of oil that are going to increase cost at the gas pump. Uh, Subsidies for Obamacare go to Families making $304,000 a year, which I think is ill-conceived. And the bottom line, it's not going to help inflation. It's going to make everything worse. One of the other things that the CBO, the Congressional Budget Office, said, Senator Graham, is that the bill would reduce the deficit. Republicans historically have been very focused on reducing the deficit. So why not support that? It says it would reduce the deficit by $100 billion. We're going to spend almost a trillion dollars. The truth is that the um, American, uh, the Obamacare subsidies go away after three years. Well, we all know they're not going to go away. So if they stayed in place for 10 years, it would add $280 billion to the deficit. So it's a gimmick. They've got a gimmick in the bill to limit the subsidies for three years that go to people who ain't $304,000 a year. Uh, this thing's going to make everything worse, and not one Republican is going to vote for it. Well, I'll tell you one thing where I think we can agree it will make things better is the IRS is going to have resources it needs to go after the highest income Americans that are cheating on their taxes right now. And it will mean more revenue for the government. And frankly, cutting through all of the numbers, all of the CBO stuff, the average American sitting at their kitchen table deciding whether they can buy medicine, pay their mortgage, or go to the grocery store and get the food they need, they're going to be able to get that medicine much more cheaply and overwhelmingly American people want to cut the cost of prescription drugs. This measure does it through enabling Medicare to do what the VA does, what the Department of Defense does, negotiate for lower prices. And that will affect the entire 
course of inflation. And I just want to bring one other issue that's in this bill. And I don't agree with that. But oh, go, go ahead. ahead. No, go ahead. Well, that's number fine. one, uh, prescription drugs. This is price fixing. They take 15 drugs and they put a limit on what you can charge. That sounds good until pharmaceutical companies uh, invent less new drugs. Remember COVID? Well, it was the American pharmaceutical industry that got us the drugs that keep us out of the hospital and keep a lot of us alive. This is price fixing. It's never worked before. It's not going to work now. Hiring 86,000 more IRS agents, if that makes you feel better, you missed a lot. They're coming after waitresses, Uber drivers, and everybody else to collect more taxes. So uh, if, if you think growing the IRS is good for you, you're wrong. You want to respond or you want to move I on? I think to- the IRS <laughs> is going to target the highest income Americans, as uh, the saying goes. That's where the money is. That's where they're going to look to collect. The idea that there's going to be this army of IRS agents defending, descending on the average American is just preposterous. Tax fairness is what we need. And for the biggest corporation in this country to pay no taxes, for them to do stock buybacks that benefit the shareholders. But, for example, in the case of oil companies, they are making three to four times what they did just last year. What are they doing with those excess windfall profits, lowering gasoline prices? No, they are doing stock buybacks. They ought to pay a tax on it. Okay. And, and I think there ought to be rebates to consumers. Oh, boy, that was painful. First of all, Lindsey Graham, you are good. You know how to put lipstick on a pig, and you did it perfectly. I can't. I, if, if I had a pig trying to put, I would have to ask you to do it. You spoke to the waitress. You spoke to everybody and you showed them with, with misinformation how this new bill that is actually going to be good for a lot of folks is going to be bad. You were good. And all Rosenthal could speak about were things like, uh, you know, we are going to create the IRS to run across and, 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 um, and, and find all those rich people that don't pay taxes and average American going to say, yeah, but those rich people have accountants that they are going to know not to do X, Y, Z. So it makes what Lindsey Graham says sound a little bit more true or, oh, we're going to get your drug prices cut. And look, here is the deal. If you really wanted to challenge Lindsey Graham, let's look at some of the things Lindsey Graham said. He said, he kept on saying, we are uh, how to get us out of this recession. We are not in a recession. You cannot be in a recession with 500,000 jobs created in a month. That the GDP has dropped two months in a row. Those are technical reasons why it dropped. He should have challenged Lindsey Graham. Lindsey Graham, would you prefer us to be in the upswing that that Trump was in when we only had 100,000 people per month? Or do you prefer what we are giving Americans, over 500,000 employees, new jobs per month? He should have challenged him. You notice uh, when, when Blumenthal started, he said, oh, thanks for having us in this bipartisan manner. And as soon as Lindsey Graham uh, has to respond, he pats him on the back and he says, this is not going to be bipartisan. Like the child who looks like the person that can't defend you. Okay, now Lindsay talks about oh, the by by allowing us to negotiate for drug prices, and by the way, it's only about 10 or 15 drugs they're negotiating. There are thousands of drugs, right? But they want you to believe that somehow they are going to be hurting the drug companies. Let's get something clear first. Drug companies do not take risk. They do not invent. Look at their balance sheet. Most of their profits don't go back reinvested into research. Their profits go to shareholders. Their profits go, or or rather, their monies go to spend on advertising. They spend more on advertising and marketing than they do research and development. Does that tell you something? Or is that going to harm research? It makes absolutely no sense. And Blumenthal did not challenge that. Blumenthal should say, wait, Lindsay, remember, most of the drug research is done by the taxpayer dollars, and you always try to hold that back. You always try to hurt taxpayers. Remember, the private sector only takes a drug after it has been developed. Then Lindsay says, you remember COVID? COVID was, if it weren't for us, uh, having the pharmaceutical companies well-funded, we would not have solved COVID. False. We gave $2 billion to the companies to rush the output on COVID vaccines after we had paid universities and other entities the money to research RNA uh, or mRNA technology. You see, 
all these things immediately once Lindsay talked about COVID, we should have said COVID was done through the government, not the pharmaceuticals. The pharmaceuticals completed the research funded by the government. Thank you so kindly. Thank you very much. But no, Blumenthal didn't say that, right? Then he called it, then the 15% uh, uh, rate. Oh, if you charge him 50%, that company who would have bought. Uh, uh, expensed a factory. What they mean is expense and mean that uh, when, when, when they build that factory, they could, instead of depreciating it over 30 years, they may have just expensed the entire factory it's under certain limits, right? So that they could reduce their taxes. In other words, instead of spreading out that, that depreciation, and by the way, depreciation of taxes is a tax scheme anyway, but instead of depreciating it over 30 years or something like that, to reduce their immediate taxes, they go ahead and they jam it all to say, ah, we don't really owe taxes because we're expensing out that factory altogether. So they are saying, oh, you charge them a minimum of 15%. These guys would not be able to do the trick, so they pay zero taxes. To which uh, Blumenthal should have said, wait a minute, you mean these guys depend on the tax system to invest in a factory that's going to keep them viable? The reason why manufacturing of the microchips is done in Taiwan and not the United States is because of the gimmicks of these guys wanting to take the profits and not pay taxes? Is that what you're saying, Lindsey Graham? We, we are so terrible in confronting the stupidity of the right, the non-functionality of the policies. Come on, folks. Look, their policies are the reason why we have deteriorating infrastructure. Their policies are the reason why our airports are some of the worst in the industrialized world. Their policies are the reason why we are sicker than any other industrialized country in the world. Their policies are the reason why we have more. We are the only country where you can actually go bankrupt because you get sick. Those are neoliberal. Those are supply side policies instituted by the other side and we are apologetic when we attempt to do something right for humanity our american humans we are apologetic for that why do we have such a stick representing what it means to be an efficient person in 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 supporting america and irs agents running after you you mean you want there to be a bunch of tax cheats Come on, folks. We need to learn how to speak. And it's evident that centrists, it's evident that moderates, it's evident that we need good spokespeople, educated, intelligent. And by the way, all these guys are, but they don't have what it takes to really inform Americans. Americans vote for Republicans because we have guys like Lindsey Graham who are very effective communicators. And we have Blumenthal who has better policies, not that he's the best. I mean, he's sort of a moderate guy. Guys like Blumenthal who has no, has no notion of how to connect with the average American citizen and say, hey, those taxes that you are paying, that they're not paying, you are paying indirectly in some form. We have got to do it. So look, let's, bottom line is this. The Blumenthal's of the world are not going to get the job done. All these guys are not going to get the job. It is your job to actually articulate what we're talking about here to your neighbors, your brothers, your sisters, your friends, your enemies, and everybody else. Because it is clear there won't be a centrist or moderate Democrat who will on TV articulating next to a Republican and let them have it for the havoc they've caused in this country. Was Bridge... MCP great or what? Was Chuck Cruz great or what? Isn't, aren't these folks that we really want to look up and say, wow, we have a great community here. We have great folks trying to represent the community here. Anyway, thank you so kindly for being here. You know how I'm going to edit this baby. My name is Egberto Willis. This is Politics Done Right. And I am what? Out!
We spend a lot of time deconstructing the news, trying to, trying to parse it into a form that everybody can understand. We try to find those little nitpicks where uh, it goes, it flies above the fray, etc. If you really like these videos that we do, I want to ask a big favor. Please go ahead, number one, subscribe to our channel, and number two, please join if you can. Thank you so kindly for watching. Keep watching. Please remember to share. We must populate the entire internet with our progressive message, a message that we know is what most Americans say that they want. So help us please join. <laughs>